Welcome to the Learning Lounge. In this podcast series, we will tell you all about learning in the flow of work. By speaking to our KPMG experts around the globe, the Learning Lounge will give you an insight on all relevant trends around learning. Present for every episode are our hosts, René de Beau, partner of People and Change, based in the Netherlands, and Eloise Littlejohns, COO and Head of Sales, based in Australia. In this first podcast, we're going to be talking about the three learning trends. Let's delve into it. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining our podcast today. My name is Renee Debo, and I'm here today with Eloise Littlejohns and our guest today, Lauren Jackson. Lauren is the national lead partner of KPMG Learning Services in Australia, and she focuses on learning transformations scale to reshape large workforces to help achieve their business goals. That's quite a mouthful, Lauren. So let's welcome you to the podcast today and let's hear all about those learning transformations that are scaled. Thanks, Renee, and thanks so much for having me. It's great to be speaking with you today. Um, Look, a learning trend is nothing more complex than just something that in our work here at KPMG in Australia, you know, we speak to learning and HR leaders about, you know, what they're seeing in their organisations around workforce capability development. And, you know, when you start hearing things over and over again, you start to think, hmm, maybe this is something that has more you know, wider applicability across the market or with other organisations. So we're coining them, you know, learning trends. Um, And, you know, you look out in the market, there's hundreds of these, and we're just going to focus on talking um, you through a few of those today, and it's what we're seeing here in Australia. Okay. Very curious to learn more, uh, uh, Lauren. Can you, because you say there's hundreds, but uh, when we uh, sort of prepped for this podcast, you said, I'm going to focus on three. What are those three, and and why are those particularly important to you? Yeah, sure. So uh, so let, let's start with the three and then I can go into a detail on, on each of those and, uh, you know, with some with some questions, hopefully it'll, it'll make a bit more sense. So the first is what we are coining the move towards hyper-contextualised learning content. The second is around the consolidation of learning technology. And the third is the realisation of the gap between where learning data is today and where it needs to be to be able to demonstrate business value. So let me just start with the first one. Uh, What we're coining hyper-contextualised learning content. So all around the world, we know the last few years with the pandemic, we all moved to working online. And what we're now seeing is that even though workers can come back into the office, you know, hybrid working is here to stay. But what that has meant is that with an increase in screen time and this, you know, permanent shift to working online, you know, we can see corporate workers are really digitally fatigued. And there's a survey here in Australia saying that 53% of L&D leaders are saying digital learning fatigue is now a bit one of their biggest threats to the impact of learning delivered successfully within their organisation. What happened at the same time with flipping online and flipping into hybrid was that organisations responded with accelerating the deployment of their learner experience platform. So in an effort to get their learning out to their people that were now at home, putting in a learner experience platform, but they coupled that with what were called content aggregators. And they pumped this into their learning ecosystem and hoped that the AI would drive personalization out to their remote workforces. So what we're seeing now, sort of, you know, two, two and a half years on from this pandemic is 
when when did you have the time to sit there and scroll through all this learning available to you? And it's via these large content libraries. And what we ask clients here in Australia is we say, do you uh, think that having an access to this vast library of content actually delivers results for your workers? So what we are seeing here in Australia is, you know, to get the most value from your content, you have to make sure it's really the right content in the first place. And we know learners are time poor, they're digitally fatigued, they don't need more learning, they need relevant learning. And that is different to what we've seen with this generalised mass market content stuff. So we're seeing a flip away from that and into what we call hyper-contextualised. And hyper-contextualised is, you know, where we can actually make learning stick. And we know that contextualising learning is what does this. So we can talk a bit more about what that looks like and how we design that. But really, you know, contextualisation is what drives real behaviour change rather than lots and lots of online learning. And when we're talking to clients, we say, with learning content, your focus really needs to be on less is more. And, and Laura, can you maybe elaborate on that first trend? Because it sounds, I think, logical. I uh, understand the learning fatigue. I think we all do that. Eloise, I think you can relate to that as well. But how do you do that, hyper-contextualising things? Can you give a practical example sure. from a business perspective? Sure. Let me let me try and bring it to life a bit. So, so when 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 we talk about contextualising learning, there's a, there's a few things. Um, we talk about rebalancing what we call the art and the science of learning design. So the art of learning design, you know, making it impactful, engaging, the way it's presented, you know, different modalities. But then there's also the science of learning, which is really about neuroscience. And you know, we know a lot about how we can you know better embed learning. You using a neuroscience approach. Uh, so this is about having bite-sized learning interactions, not just necessarily a one-off event, which it used to be, you know, in a classroom away for four or five days at a time. No, we're talking about journeys. We're talking bite-sized, different modalities. It's not a one-off event. We need space then between those activities so that individuals can have time to digest their learning. It helps with their memory retention. And then what the intention would then be is that that increases the likelihood of employees taking action from their learning. And that's when we're talking about making learning stick. And backed up by the Neuro Leadership Institute here in Australia, we have found that when you contextualise learning in this way, it's 50% more effective at driving real behaviour change rather than this lots and lots of online learning. Wow, that, that's actually really a big difference. It sounds almost like uh, using uh, the implications of game technology into learning, how to make it stick and how you get sort of hooked at learning. That's absolutely right. It's making it exciting and engaging in the same way as you would in your own day-to-day -day life. Why does it have to be so difficult when you come to work? And and, and the second uh, learning trend? The second Tell one is, that. yeah, which we are seeing is the consolidation of learning technology. So in the last 10 years, at least, I guess we have seen learning tech proliferating. You know, there's loads and loads of different, you know, startups, there's bolt on after bolt on of new, you know, really exciting additions into the more traditional learning or HR technology stack. But what we've observed with our clients here in Australia is this is now getting really messy. And the reason is because typically the HR or learning team in an organisation, they don't have you know, an army of data scientists or tech solution architects in-house. And then what has resulted is lots of different bits of learning technology that all promise to make things simpler, more automated and have AI. 
but they're all sitting standalone and they're not integrated. And so it's hard, it's messy, and there's lots of manual workarounds, and therefore the AI promise and the automation promise is not being realised. So that's sort of what we're seeing in our clients. How do you make sense of this now, Jigsaw? And what we're seeing in the market globally is these large technology vendors are consolidating to try and start to bridge this gap. And so, you know, we've seen, you know, lots of different organisations start to grow their footprint. We, we work closely with Microsoft and what they're looking at is integrating better their own suite of uh, products into their Viva platform um, so that there is a really good learner experience across their whole Microsoft 365 suite. So we see all this as really great news. It's going to mean the user's experience just gets better. And then this promise on automation and AI flowing across an expanded platform will start to be realised. And that will then really help contribute to the impact of learning. The only caveat I would say is it's immature and it's going to take time. So um, when you're thinking about, and we encourage our clients here in Australia to think about, you know, if you're, you know, part of your role as an HR leader is to think about your uh, real requirements for technology and get really close to the vendors that you're working with from a learning technology perspective and make sure you understand what their uh, roadmap's looking like. And then you need to do a bit of, you know, making sure that their uh, future is, is looking like the future that you want and being able to map that out more closely than perhaps you might have in the past. Well, that sounds like the future is bright, but if I uh, if I talk here in the Netherlands, also with uh, chief learning officers, they're still struggling with the day-to-day -day business on, give me some data on how many people actually followed that uh, piece training or, uh, what are our learning costs of last year? And it's actually really uh, difficult for them to pull that all together and, and translate that in sort of information to uh, contextualize your learning as well. Do you experience the same? Yeah, that's, that's I'm really glad you brought that up because that's actually our third trend. Uh, and this is exactly what you've just spoken about, Renee. And this is the, the realization of the gap where we are right now with learning data and where it needs to be to be able to demonstrate business value. There's a stat here um, in Australia, uh, it was a report run by Mind Tools that said that only 6% of Australian L&D leaders can calculate their return on investment for learning, only 6%. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's alarming. Nothing. Right, so so if only 6% can confidently calculate ROI, that, that's telling us that we've got some work to do. And look, when I, when I talk to my clients, this really is borne out. They say that data is one of their biggest blind spots. So there's a, whole, there's a whole raft of reasons and, you know, when we approach these types of, um, you know, conversations with our clients, we have a great framework that we try to build a more holistic response around what data needs to, to be able to tell and what story they need to build. But, you know, there's a huge gap at the moment and, and we don't see that um, closing, you know, too quickly. It's probably the biggest area we need to work on. And how can we work on that? Eloise, you, you see a lot of clients as well. What do you come across it as... Uh when we talk about these trends. Yeah, and I think it probably, it speaks to a bit about the second trend that Lauren was talking about, the consolidation of the learning technology, where actually 
seeing with with collecting data from across the suite of your learning how important that technology platform is um, and drawing the different um, data inputs as well I think is is really important I think another thing that learning teams are now starting to think about is the types of roles within their team so rather than your traditional um, learning designers or learning development managers that we see within L&D teams we're starting to see skill sets um, relating to learning technology or even learning data analysts which wouldn't have previously existed in some of those more traditional L&D type teams. So we're sort of yeah, starting to see that recruitment um, within the L&D team shift as well, which is quite interesting. That's a nice thing to talk about, actually. What would be our uh, uh, number one advice for chief learning officers as we talk to them today? What kind of skills should they actually invest in? Lauren, what would you say? Uh, it's, it's a great question. I think, that, you know, the what we've observed and probably as a response to, you know, we've had a tough few years, right? So it has been, you know, the, the pandemic has accelerated a number of things in terms of the flip to hybrid, which was which has been great and, you know, flexibility for the workforce. But what it's also highlighted is some of the silos within an organisation and particularly a learning function. And so when we say, you know, what's the biggest advice is we would say try to look at your whole learning ecosystem as an entire business or an entire function. So, you know, we think about it in an end-to-end way you know look at your learning strategy you know how is that aligning to your business strategy what then is the learning curriculum or you know content that needs to support it in order to achieve that strategy so there's a whole piece around alignment then then it gets to okay what's the technology options that help enables that to send it out to your people and then what about the behind the scenes work to make that really efficient because ultimately, if you get all of those right, but you're still too expensive or you're not efficient within the organisation or your learners are finding it really hard to find their learning, it's not going to be good value. And that point that we just made about learning data and um, the bit that you said about, you know, no one even knows how much they spend on learning, it becomes really hard to articulate. So it's about it's an efficiency and an impact on outcomes. And that's what we would say is try to look at it end to end rather than just perhaps in silos, which we're seeing a lot of that. And that's we would call that there's a lot of tinkering around the edges at the moment, not a lot of holistic sort of review of how you can transform the entire experience. Yeah, I think I can relate to that as well, because how you share it with us. It sounds really like a structured, logical logical approach, but what you typically see at clients is that their L&D function is actually quite remote from the business and how can we help them actually really uh, work together and, and uh, focus on that alignment as you're speaking to. Eloise, any thoughts about that? Yeah, and again, this is something that we see as sort of how, how does learning better you know go out there and assess the needs and I think it speaks to Lauren a bit a bit around tying that learning strategy to the overall organizational strategy but also making sure that the L&D function have really strong relationships out into the business so that they really understand the capabilities that the business has but also where they need and where they need those skills to grow um, and I think that speaks to the point around making sure that the L&D function isn't just a silo that they're actually well connected in with the business um, and I think maintaining those business relationships and yeah really understanding what those capabilities are is is really really important still yeah I think so too 
So Lauren, one of the one of the trends that you mentioned was the um, consolidation of the learning technology. And we've also mentioned briefly the concept of learning in the flow of work. So I'm interested if you've um, got any sort of examples of how the integration of that learning technology might assist that learning in the flow of work. And again, really sort of help embed the impact of the learning that organisations are seeking to give their employees. Yeah, great. And and look, we've been talking about learning in the flow of work for a while, haven't we, as an industry? But I think what we'll unlock soon is, particularly if you look at in a team's environment, you know, this is now where the work is done in an organisation. And, you know, with the pandemic, everything accelerated into, for many organisations, a team's environment, you know, collaboration, chat, and doing, you know, what we all do now so much is, which is on virtual meetings. You know, so we didn't do all of that before the pandemic in such a good way. Now, what we're talking about also is how does then learning then dock into that experience? And so we think that, you know, that's going to only get better um, with some of the AI that sits across, you know, different platforms, how it can scan your diary and tell you when you've got learning time, how it will remember when you've done a piece of learning and what topic it was on. It may serve you up some recommendations or it might remind you with a little nudge to say, oh, remember you did that course two weeks ago. Have you done your post work or please fill in this feedback survey? So that's what we talk about in the flow of work. It starts becoming more of a within your own environment. And I think that the whole team's environment, if you're a team's organisation, but there are others out there, it, it, it's going to make that friction a lot less. So in the flow of work with tech enabling that, I think is going to become more of a feature. Is that what you meant? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think in, in to build on that as well, I think we're seeing the, we're moving away from that traditional just sort of face-to-face workshop-based learning and that the the learning is a continuous journey so I think even things like developing communities of interest or using social learning and I think these learning platforms that we're seeing such as Teams are going to be so important going forward as well to kind of keep reinforcing all of those things that people are learning during their learning courses. I like to hear what you said Lauren in in between so organizations like us focusing on working in teams and I think we had a discussion with our team last week and said, well, there are actually quite a number of organizations that are not teams organizations. They don't do virtual meetings because they work with their hands, they're technicians, they're out there, they work remote, uh, literally remote. And and I'm sort of still struggling, how are we going to help them with this learning revolution? And, and then what we call learning in the flow of work, how does that uh, play out? Yeah, fascinating as well, isn't it? When you think about non-office based uh, workers, yeah. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, and we, we've been actually talking about that here in Australia as well, with obviously the move to the, you know, the big thing at the moment is learning in the metaverse. And, you know, some of those industries are actually already doing this stuff, right? So it's interesting if you're in a heavy or high risk industry like mining or um, oil and gas or any of the safety industries, you know, you're probably already doing some learning with some VR or AR goggles, you know, you're doing that in a safer environment where, you know, no one can get hurt. But, you know, the previous way of doing it was out in the field and, you know, there was high risk of, 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 of uh, you know, sometimes even death. So, you know, I think we're seeing some of those industries that are sort of, uh, you know, they might be ahead of us in some respects, but, you know, there's certainly other skills that can't be delivered in that way. So maybe this is where we need to sort of, you know, share some experience and figure out, you know, what can it take from, our sort of teams and hybrid working and then what can we take from some of the things that they're really head on which is you know, in the metaverse and virtual and augmented reality and then what about what do you think how the 
sort of craftsmanship and uh, learning on the job, like from person to person is going to uh, evolve because we're really focusing on the technolo uh, technology side of learning. But I think there's also still the coaching one-on-one -on -one when somebody comes new on the job. Do you have any ideas around that? Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's something that we've seen and we've been working remotely for two years now. And I think that's something that even, you know, as our graduates come in, it's it's really difficult for people to kind of learn in a virtual setting. So I, I do think that um, learning on the job aspect is still really important. And again, I think we'll need to think about how technology can plug some of those gaps in a virtual world. Um, but yeah, if you think about the sort of the 70-2010 model of learning, I think it, that that will still absolutely remain a, a really core part of learning. And, you know, I think if you, you think about learning, it's not just the, the one-off kind of workshops. Actually, we learn all day, every day. You know, you're picking up different things. You're, you're learning from your colleagues. And I think that that will continue to be a really important feature going forward. Absolutely. So we, have a, we are having a conversation around learning and um, I'm learning as we speak. So that's also uh, realizing what are we doing already uh, with our teams and with our clients. And I think a lot of the listeners will think, Okay, sounds interesting, but uh, one, where should I start if I really want to create that growth mindset and, and really follow those trends of contextualizing and using the data? Uh, and two, this is probably going to cost me. Lauren, can you reflect on that? Yeah, sure. And this probably deserves a whole podcast in its own right. But let, let me well, let me give that. it a crack, and that. then I'll <laughs> let me give it a short crack, and then maybe um, Eloise just uh, you can build on anything I've missed. One of the things that we do say to clients is rather than necessarily uh, thinking about all of the stuff that you have, because by the time you've gone around your organisation, you've done a stock take, you've looked at everything, you know, another six months has passed, and you're still behind. So sometimes actually, you know, just disrupting yourself and thinking, okay, really strategically, this is our business strategy. What are the skills and the capabilities that we need to support that strategy? Not even just right now, but into the future. Start from there rather than saying, what's everything that we've got? We've got to reuse it. Because often in our experiences, if you start at the top and you think forward rather than think back, is you may find that most of what you've got actually isn't fit for purpose. And that's certainly been our case when we've helped clients. You know, we've started on the stock take approach and realising, you know, all of this stuff should have been decommissioned years ago. So so just because it's there doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing going forward. And that's often quite hard for clients to understand, to come to grips with, because there's lots of historic relationships. There's reasons why these things are in place within organisations. There's, you know, senior stakeholders that have pet projects. And that's meant that the status quo has continued. And so what we encourage is the bravering of the courage around, okay, let's, if we had a clean sheet of paper, what could it look like? And then of course, there's the bit about, okay, is there anything that we've already got that might fill some of those gaps? But often we're finding because it's moving so fast is it could be a start over or at least a partial start over. The second thing I would just say on that is, you know, building the narrative around this is a journey. And this gets to your question on cost is very often we found HR or the learning teams, they're always seen to be asking for investment. And they're asking for investment quite often because, you know, the, the, the needs of the workforce are increasing. And, you know, there is a realisation that people are, you know, your biggest asset, 
but it's because there's so much legacy in place. So the reason it gets expensive and so much um, money is up for investment cases is because you're trying to keep everything sort of wrapped around the edges when it wasn't considered sort of holistically. So what we encourage our clients to think about is you're probably already spending enough money, but you're not spending it on the right things. So if you have a strategic perspective of what you think you need now and into the future that evolves, and if you look at the budget you've already got, and you take some tough decisions, you can actually find the money that you need within what your existing spend. And it, once you actually work with a client over a number of years, we've we've generally been able to deliver a cost reduction over time. So they would be the, the two areas I'd think about is, you know, even though there's a lot already in the organisation, be brave around what it could look like. And secondly, don't think you need an investment case. Actually, it's about being brave on stopping what isn't working. That's a really interesting perspective, Lauren. I think you're asking us not to have the courage to, well, do all new things, but just leave old things also behind. And I think when we look at how we work with clients, maybe that's the most important challenge, the legacy that there is and how can we uh, cut ourselves loose from uh, patterns that don't work anymore. And and that also sort of requires a, uh, a mindset, uh, a mindset shift. Be courageous looking towards the future. I like it. So start with the end in mind, take a clean sheet and uh, visualize what the what the future could look like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, the, you know, the reality is if anyone thinks that if anyone says that they know what that reality is with perfect vision, yeah. they're not telling the truth. None of us know. But what we need is a, a an operating model and an infrastructure that can support an evolving need that we can then make it more agile, more cost effective over time. Eloise, would you like something to add? Yeah, I think for me, a lot of, again, what we speak to for clients is around the data piece and again I think this is something that is is very difficult and again something that organizations sort of struggle with to know where to start um, and I think it's just collect as much data as you possibly can and maybe use some skills that might not necessarily be within your team but for people to actually analyze across your curriculum you know what are the what are the courses that people are doing? What are people interested in? What's not working? What needs to be decommissioned, as Lauren was saying? And basically collect as much data from across your ecosystem that you can possibly get your hands on um, to help make you make those decisions a bit more informed. I think that's really important. And again, we often speak to clients that don't necessarily have the skills to do that. But I think it's about where can you borrow those skills from within the organization? It might not necessarily be from within the learning team. It might be further afield, but um, just to get some data and, and make some more informed decisions. Nice. Thank you for uh, adding that. Um, I think we're uh, sort of at the end of our podcast today. I have a lot of uh, other questions and I'm inspired to uh, take some new insights to uh, my own team and to our clients. But uh, thanks for having this conversation and um, see you next time, I guess. Thanks. Thanks, Lauren. Thank Thanks, you so Jenny. much for having me. Good it was a wonderful conversation.